Welcome to Site Selection Matters, where we take a close look at the art and science of site selection decision making. I'm your host, Rick Weddle, president of the Site Selectors Guild. In each episode, we introduce you to the leaders in the world of corporate site selection and economic development. We speak with members of the Site Selectors Guild, our economic development partners, and corporate decision makers to provide you with deep insight into the best and next practices in our profession. In this episode, we have as our guest, Dennis Donovan, principal with Wadley Donovan Gutshaw Consulting. WDG Consulting advises corporations on geographic deployment of business operations, including manufacturing plants, distribution centers, R&D centers, IT centers, call centers, back offices, and headquarters operations. Today, Dennis will talk with us about how international investment promotion agencies, or IPAs, can become more effective in attracting U.S.-based direct or cross-border investment. Join me as we welcome Dennis Donovan, to Site Selection Matters. Dennis, today we're talking about International Investment Promotion Agencies, or IPA, and what's needed for them to be more effective in attracting U.S.-based investment. Take a minute, if you will, and explain from your perspective how the process of attracting investment works in the U.S. Well, the process Rick, is pretty much uh, uniform, irrespective of the geography involved. And it's, generally speaking, it's a very structured process that a company would follow uh, to identify and ultimately select a new location. And the process begins in what we call discovery or, or definition. And that's identifying why is there a need for expanding or contracting uh, the footprint of an organization? You know, what are the drivers? What are the business objectives that hope to be accomplished? And then from there, what are the requirements of the new operation in terms of its headcount, its access to customers, access to suppliers, real estate, and so forth? And then you have to identify, you know, what geography are we looking at? Uh, is this going to be targeted uh, at a specific region of the United States or a region of the world? And if so, is the region being targeted to service customers better, uh, to balance the footprint from a geography, risk, and supply chain standpoint, or to reduce cost. So there's that involved. So sometimes uh, the geography is small as one state or one country, or it could be an entire continent or a couple of continents. So that's important. And then a company needs to identify uh, and, and agree upon what are the criteria, what is really overarching in terms of its importance. You know, in other words, these are must Ads to guarantee successful operation in a new location. And then you've got important and somewhat important criteria. So all that has got to be sorted out. Once that's agreed upon, then comes the analytical phases. And the first phase is to be able to, you know, identify where are the potentially best locations. We call that a long list. Well, it's a it's a very systematic and metric-driven process to ultimately start out with a universe of locational candidates. They could be 100 areas, 200 areas, more or less. And how do we get down to a manageable number that we can take a closer look at? And this is where the rub comes, uh, international site selection. We have very robust and extensive sources of data to be able to conduct this, what I call location screening, 
the winnowing down process, if we will, in the United States. Overseas, the available data is far less extensive and, and uniform than it is in the United States. On top of that, uh, the data that are available from the websites of inward investment agencies tends to be far less than what we would really need to be able to move the process well along uh, the decision-making pathway. So that is definitely a, an issue that we face um, in, in terms of doing site selection outside the United States. And anyway, once you're down to a long list, then we start interfacing uh, with economic development agencies by issuing a request for information, uh, which asks for you know competitive intelligence on areas such as major employers, employers within our industry, available properties and so forth, electric power reliability, whatever it may be. And then we take that information provided by uh, the Inward Investment Agency and the desktop research, and we do a scorecard ranking of the various locations. We may even have one or two existing locations as benchmark. And we typically break it into operating costs and operating environment, which tends to be heavily weighted toward human resources these days. And so typically the best locations tend to be the lowest cost, the ideal locations, lowest cost, highest score in operating environment, especially talent. And that leads then to a, a what we call a short list. And the short list could be anywhere usually from three to five locations. That's brought forward to the next phase, which is actually going and visiting each location and conducting on the scene interviews with companies, other organizations, and again, determining which one of these shortlist locations not only is, is going to work best for the organization, the new facility, near term, but longer range, you know, as the needs of the company, as it's projected to grow, will those needs be well matched by the attributes that we see that location having well down the road? Because they will change. That's where the judgment of a site selection consultant comes in. How are these, you know, we may have great supply of electric power today, but based upon demand and generating capacity, maybe that's going to be constrained in the future. So there could be questions of reliability and cost. That kind of judgment has to go into the analysis beyond just, you know, what, what the cost of power is today. And so we rate each location in terms of its long range viability for the project. And we also, when we say location, location typically is a metro area, a submarket, and we identify, identify first the submarket based on labor pool, and then available properties, and then a specific community, and then a site. That's how location is defined. And that leads to a recommendation or a delineation of the best location in the backup, and then typically a company will uh, engage in final due diligence, ranging from incentives and taxes and legal in the top location with the backup still in the running because you never know something could happen and then ultimately uh, the decision is made to go to location x and so it's a very structured process that companies follow follow that process that location is going to work well for the business uh, well down the road dennis you've just described a really robust and rigorous kind of step-by-step process uh, we often it seems to me that we erroneously refer to this as site selection and often it's really site elimination, isn't it? Because you described a process of how you winnow down a very large list that may include multiple continents, uh, hundreds of locations down to a manageable few. Uh, it, it really is site elimination, isn't it? 
It is. There's a lot more elimination than there is uh, uh, acceptance, if you will. Mm -hmm. So, yes, it is an elimination process. And that's good because, you know, there could be, you know, a number of locations that work would work well. We're looking for the optimal solution. You know, if you're going to make this major investment, capital investment and talent investment, you know, the question becomes, why not pick the optimal location that's going to maximize the success from a business operations standpoint of the new facility? So that's what we always strive for is not pretty good, not very good. We strive for optimal or as close to ideal as we can get. And and information is the currency by which you trade and winnow this list down. Uh, and the searches always begin with information. And here in the U.S., we... Um, I guess we've all had a pretty good experience working with site selection consultants to make sure that our websites and uh, present the in, in, information that's necessary. Uh, you made a comment about that in in the non-U.S. locations, whether it's Asia or whether it's uh, Europe, uh, that websites and data is less available. Any insight into why that's the case, or or what uh, what's going on there? Why wouldn't they ha have the same capabilities? that the U.S. Uh, EDOs have? Well, that is a good question, and uh, it's perplexed me for 40 years. Uh, I can say that one of the reasons is that the government agencies, and all these, uh, be it South America, Europe, or Asia, uh, just don't produce the level of data on uh, demographics, on, on, on businesses, <clears throat> and occupations. Uh, that you find in the United States. You know, I guess maybe Canada comes uh, closest, but even there, it's less than it is in the U.S. So the the absence of of government, you know, uh, produced data really is is a constraining factor. I mean, it makes it much more difficult to evaluate locations because you can't get access to the data. It doesn't exist. And on top of that, private data vendors are far less extensive. Uh, either in numbers or in what they produce as well uh, in, in uh, uh, you know, in, in, in countries outside the U.S. So it really makes it very, very difficult. It really does. And I have found that, you know, in doing international site selection, you really got to have, very, you know, senior talent on projects to make decisions along the way because a lot of interpretation is involved. And you have to do a lot more original research on international site selection than you do on um, the U.S. It's very, very, very interesting. You know, this available data is a is is something that's going to be very difficult for, I guess, the international promotion agencies to kind of overcome on that. But uh, what advice would you give an international EDO or IPA when it comes to trying to offset that and 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 assemble their own database and work with you guys to to deliver the information? Number one is to uh, understand uh, what data are really needed and are important to the site selection process. And so I think uh, contacting uh, site selection consultants and just doing a survey saying, you know, what, what do you really need? Ideally, what would you like to see from us in terms of the ability to provide you with data on our website uh, and then data that would be more customized to a project? What's really important? And my, my suggestion is that I would advise every inward investment agency to visit the International Economic Development Council, IEDC. And uh, in the U.S., a number of site selection consultants, including the Site Selectors Guild was involved in this, and IEDC, Economic Development Professionals. So look at 
We believe that there are certain sets of statistics that any area should have to support site selection. And remember, site selection, you have to you know, understand the marketplace. You've got about 35 to 40% of site selection projects are represented by a professional consultant. So we are expected to wade through all of the difficulties and challenges of, of spotty data. We have to do it, all right? But then you've got, you know, 60 to 65% of the market that is represented either by a company do it on their own or a related professional, maybe an attorney or an architect or something. For them, that is really difficult. So as an inward investment agency, you have to understand the entire marketplace. If a site consultant says, well, we don't need, you know, population size because we can get that on our own. Well, maybe we can, but two-thirds of the market may not be able to do so. So you have to serve the entire market. And I honestly believe that if you look at the IEDC data centers, this is the information we said is important for anyone involved in site selection to make an informed decision to get down to a long list of areas. I start from there. And any inward investment agency that can come closest to having the IEDC data standards for their country and for the major uh, you know, employment centers or metro areas will have a leg up on a competition. Believe me, it is a competitive advantage of having this kind of information. That's very helpful. Let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about the role that the site location professional or the advisor like yourself plays in this process because it strikes me that these decision channels, these uh, how US-based companies make decisions can be very complex and uh, how can an investment uh, promotion agency understand better by working with a site selection consultant how companies make decisions and how they go about uh, looking to grow and expand abroad? Again, I think you know reaching out to site selection consultants is important, and also attending events uh, you know that are uh, sponsored by the industry, and you know uh, attending site selection guild uh, conferences or you know Cornet or. IMAC, you know, uh, any of these organizations to better understand, you know, how the process unfolds and what's expected. Where is the interface with economic development agencies? And again, you have to understand the interface with the entire marketplace, not just site selection consultants. That's very important. So you always have to be careful of what a professional site selection consultant relates. Are they relating the, the, view, the views and perspective of the entire market or just of that 35 to 40% representing professional consultants. But if we can help educate inward investment agencies on this is the process, this is what is required at various points in the process, and here's how you can maximize your value as a stakeholder in the process to us, I think that would be very helpful. So again, I think reaching out to um, professional site selection consultants is really critical. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we're more than willing to take the time to explain how the process unfolds. And then eventually, I, I can see maybe even for, you know, organizations, uh, you know, groups of countries that in Europe or Central Europe or something, they have their conferences, invite uh, consultants to speak at these conferences and uh, to hold workshops and say, this is how it, it needs to go down. Because, again, I mean, it is just amazing that in an age of technology and data, I see the technology out there, but even there is not as much. And, you know, I can come to the U.S. And, and I go on a lot of these websites and can do virtual tours of buildings, virtual tours of communities. 
I don't see that as much uh, overseas. So inward uh, investment agencies have got a lot of catching up to do. It sounds like they really do. It sounds like there's just a lot of changes and a lot of differences between the way the site location work has traditionally worked in the U.S. and now how it is or has worked in um, in countries abroad. You know, Dennis, in addition to that, we really live in interesting times internationally. We've had a long run of globalization and increasing supply chain integration in the world. Now we're seeing suddenly a rise in trade conflicts and tariffs. Uh, recently, Brexit finally happened as the UK moved out of the EU. More and more countries now are talking about nationalism and isolation rather than global integration that you and I have known so well over the last several decades. Take a look into your crystal ball, if you will. Where do you see this headed? What could we expect next from an international perspective? You know, my opinion is that the economic forces that are propelling globalization of businesses are so strong that these headwinds that you refer to are merely that temporary roadblocks, if you will. Uh, I believe that we will see more of an integration of the global economy for many, many reasons. And that is going to, that will dictate and elevate above all else how companies are going to respond. Now, obviously, you will have outliers. There will be certain countries that will be, you know, they could be uh, much more nationalistic. They could be relatively unstable. Uh, they could be, you know, have anti-business uh, regulation and so forth. But generally speaking, I believe we're going to see more unity down the road than we will uh, diversion. I think this is uh, a blip on a radar screen because the forces are so strong that uh, uh, governments and populist presidents, if you will, uh, are not going to be able to derail the trends that are apt to, that make it necessary for businesses to 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 survive. You know, without a global integrated platform, virtually no business can survive anymore. So that's going to trump everything else. Uh, I don't view it as dire as a lot of uh, people do. I think again, bumps in a well, that's good news, Dennis. You know, what you're saying, I guess, is in today's world, the world is the market and these macro forces uh, will eventually kind of uh, overwhelm whatever short term blips or bumps. I like the way you said temporary headwinds <laughs> may provide. Uh, so your thought is that like Brexit will eventually even out and those forces will kind of push forward. While it may not be back to business as usual, the, the long history of globalization will continue. I guess that's what you're saying. Yeah, it absolutely, absolutely will. I mean, Brexit is definitely an issue and there may be some shifting of financial headquarter operations and so forth. But bottom line, the UK is one of the largest economies in the world. What, a company's not going to invest in the UK? That, I mean, it's a ridiculous assumption. Yeah, would you like to see Brexit? No, I don't. I don't like Brexit at all. I don't think it's good for the UK or for Europe. Having said that, uh, I don't believe it's going to be a serious impediment uh, for growth in Europe or even in the UK, personally. Well, that's interesting. That's great, and that's fascinating. You know, Dennis, you've given us a lot, a whole lot to think about today. What a great conversation we've had. But that's really all the time we have. So let me in by saying thanks to Dennis Donovan for talking with us today on this episode of Site Selection Matters. It's been my pleasure, Rick. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Site Selection Matters. And a special thanks to Dennis Donovan for helping us get inside and better understand what international investment promotion agencies or IPAs 
need to do to be more effective and make their regions and communities more competitive in site location. What an informative discussion and one that leaves us with a lot to think about. Again, I'm Rick Weddle, president of the Site Selectors Guild. This podcast episode represents my views and the views of my guests, and they do not necessarily represent the views or opinions of the Site Selectors Guild or its membership. We do hope you'll subscribe to Site Selection Matters podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. We look forward to bringing you some great discussions in the year ahead. Until next time, good day.